Good morning, everybody. Today is the fourth in our series on reimagining, and today I want to talk about reimagining gathering. Now, this is an interesting one to talk about, given that you are watching online and not in person in the Gateway Church building. But we are so wrapped that you are watching, regardless of where you are and what your circumstances are. If you are normally physically at church, but you are isolating or catching up due to another Sunday commitment, how good is church online to allow us to keep in contact? If you live outside the Seaford area, then we are so honoured that you would watch. And our hope is that you might feel encouraged to check out a local church one day, one that's in your area. If you are in the, the Seaford Frankston area and not already part of a church, we would hope that as you watch, you begin to feel part of the family and, and that one day you might join us in person. Come up and say hello, I'd love to meet you. But today I want to inspire you with the reasons why we would love you to consider just that, stepping into church in person. What do you think was in the mind of God when he dreamed the church into being? And just a warning, this is my favourite thing to talk about. It may not be popular among many secular commentators, but I love the church. I believe in the church as the infiltration of Jesus' culture into this world. And I believe it's the most powerful force for good on the planet. I've given my life over to the church, but not in the way that Jesus gave his life over for her. Jesus gave his literal life to see the church established on earth. And 2,000 years later, despite its many, many failings, the church lives and breathes and is the passion of millions of people of every colour and creed. Jesus came to teach the church to sing his song. And sometimes we have gone way off note and the sound has been terrible. But when we sing the melodies and harmonies of the Jesus song together, we get a glimpse of life as God intended it to be. But before we can reimagine gathering as a church, we need to see what the original gathering was like. And it's described in Acts chapter 2. This is what the gathering of Christ followers looked like in the first years after the miraculous, paradigm-busting resurrection of Christ. Everyone around was in awe. All those wonders and signs done through the apostles and all the believers lived in a wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that every person's need was met. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw and every day their number grew as God added those who were being saved. It was such a radical community. Remember that in ancient Middle Eastern society, groups of people did not mix across races, genders and classes. Something new was happening. There was such a sense of excitement in their midst. There would have been people there 
who could testify as an eyewitness to Jesus resurrected. Can you imagine? There, there is a noble woman sitting next to a black slave. There is a Roman centurion sharing communion with a Jewish housewife. There is a Phoenician woman teaching the stories of Jesus to a group of men and boys. There is the grandfather of the group, Simon, who was present when Jesus himself appeared to them a week after the empty grave was reported. Such excitement, such a sense of calling. Jesus had told them, go into all the world and make disciples. But then, within about the 60 years, just one generation, the writer of Hebrews is saying, And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. How quickly people allowed their priorities to shift. Ah, so I know that this cause is the answer not only to my eternity, but to my very life purpose. It is the reason God put me on this planet, to make it a better place for all. But so sorry, I have a chance to do another another shift at the marketplace on Sunday. You understand. I know some of you might have grown up in a religious system that told you you were saved by going to church weekly. A friend of mine's mum was so concerned about this that she would go several times a week just to make sure. But this is not what the Bible says. We are not saved just by going to church. But a new generation of Christians have swung the pendulum so far in the other direction. I love Jesus. Listen to podcasts. Pray on the beach at sunset and do justice activities. I'm following Jesus, but church just isn't my thing. The author A.J. Schwaboda says this, We have replaced the bad idea that God was only found in church with another bad idea, that God can be found everywhere but church. What a devastating trade. Our modern individualism too easily tempts us to take our Bible and remove ourselves from the wider believing community. We end up with a Bible and a podcast, but no church. Does this matter? Is it important? There is an increasing trend all over the Western church that regular attendance is now considered about once in every three or four weeks. Some would even call themselves regular churchgoers and come just a few times a year. I'm not wanting to guilt you today. We are thrilled that you are watching, but I do want to issue a challenge. I want to reimagine gathering together, not as some newfangled idea, but as a return to the ancient rhythm of gathering weekly for worship or engaging weekly in worship at home, if that's your situation. I want to challenge us all to make connection with the people of God the first priority of our weekly schedule, and that all of our other commitments flow out of that big, solid rock. Now, I can hear you asking, well, why weekly? Well, Can I say, why do you take your kids to a weekly music lesson? Why do you have a weekly personal training session? Firstly, number one, there is something, I believe, something healthy about the weekly rhythm of our lives, which is God-ordained. 
You know, in the Genesis story of creation, it talks about God's six days of work and then one of rest and worship. The ancient Jews held this as sacred because God said it was. And this was a shocking thing in ancient communities. You know, when survival was based on subsistence farming, that what you did with your physical work was the only way you put food into your family's mouth. All other tribes worked every day to maximise their wealth, but not the Jews. They said this. They said, God has told them that one day has to be prioritised to the worshipping of God in community. Now, this was costly in earthly terms, but God poured back into them with blessing when they were obedient to this. The second reason I believe weekly is important is that we need regular moments of peace and reflection. There is a great danger in an unexamined life. I was talking to a pastor from another church recently who said that many of her her life group had not returned to church or life group after the COVID lockdowns. They just got out of the habit and other priorities crept in. One couple was now struggling with their marriage and another had called her seeking her help for anxiety and depression. I was reading a Barna research study on social capital. That's the ability of people to be happy neighbourly and involved in community activities. They looked at all sorts of people, people who were a regular part of a community group like the cricket club, but not religious, and people who were religious and maybe prayed regularly, but were doing it on their own, not a regular attender at a church. They looked at people who were regular attenders in a faith community. Here's what they found. The group with the highest level of happiness, neighbourliness and community engagement were those who were not only religious, but religious together. Why? Well, the study concluded that those who regularly attend a Christian church and claim a Christian identity are encouraged to love their neighbour, deny themselves and look to the needs of others and aspire to be like Jesus. Week after week, they are taught to apply love in small practical ways. They are encouraged regularly to push the world gently but persistently towards a kinder and less wretched place than it would be otherwise. Don't fall into the trap of an unexamined life. Thirdly, we we need to continually grow in our understanding of God. Now, let me read you a little bit of Paul's letter here. He's writing to a group of Hebrew people, and boy, he does not pull any punches. I have a lot more to say about this, but it's hard to get it across to you since you've picked up that bad habit of not listening. By this time, you ought to be teachers yourselves. Yet here I find you need someone to sit down with you and go over the basics on God again, starting from square one, baby's milk, when you should have been on solid food long ago. Milk is for beginners, inexperienced in God's ways. Solid food is for the mature who have some practice in telling right from wrong. So come on, let's leave the preschool finger-painting workshops exercises on Christ and get on with the grand work of art. Grow up in Christ. (sighs) 
Wow. You don't grow unless you put regular time into learning the faith. You don't let your kids go to school one day out of four, do you? C.S. Lewis said, This is why daily prayers and religious reading and church going are necessary parts of the Christian life. We have to be continually reminded of what we believe. Neither Christian belief nor any other will remain alive in the mind. It must be fed. Now, this is especially important if you have kids. They will get their sense of the importance of the family of God from the priority that their family gives it. If you are in our area, we have an amazing program for kids called God Zone, where each week the teachers are there to help you to bring your kids up in the knowledge of God. This is not a casual thing. I believe this is a high priority. Fourthly, we are called in the scripture to one another, each other. All through the New Testament, the writers talk about how we behave with our fellow believers, believers in the church. We hear them talk about loving one another, honouring one another, build each other up, care for, serve, bear one another's burdens, speak the truth to one another, comfort one another, teach, stir up good works in one, one another, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another. You cannot one another each other without each other. Deep relational connections are only built with regular contact. And that is why our heart for you would be for you to step into physical community or at least engage wholeheartedly online with others who are watching. I could give you reason after reason of why you should make worship a weekly priority, whether in person or church at home, but until you have a revelation of how precious this thing called the church is and how much you need it and how much it needs you and how it is Christ's plan A to rescue his children from darkness and despair, it will not seem like a big deal to have other priorities shoulder out this worship time. I do know that if the entire Gateway community started to see the church through Christ's eyes, we would not have enough seats to contain the hunger of people to worship. John Mark Comer said this about the church. The word church in the Greek means those who are called out. It is not a community of comfort, but of calling. I'm all for Sundays now more than ever, after dozens of hours of secular programming coming into our minds all week long, we need an anchor of Sunday gatherings to recenter our minds on truth and open our hearts back to God for healing and renewal. Every time I walk in on Sunday and see other followers all around me, I remember I'm not alone. I'm part of a new humanity. I hope you could feel this when you watch from home as well, a community of people gathered, even digitally. 
When I think of how precious the church is, I remember a few metaphors that we've heard used to describe it. Metaphors are important because they contain great truth, but some are better than others. For example, we often say the church is a hospital for sinners. Now, this is beautiful as we affirm that this is a place for broken and sinful people to find healing. But what happens to sick people when they get well? They leave the hospital. That's not church. There's also a problem when we say, we don't come to church, we are the church. Well, yes, the church is not a physical place, but a body of people. But there is a problem if you take this metaphor too far. No wonder we have so many people who say they follow Jesus but don't like the church. Do you go to church or are you the church? The answer is yes. We are the church, so we gather as the church. A body dismembered into different places will bleed out and die. So what are some better metaphors? Well, here are two of many that I really love, but I hope this will help you to fall in love again with the church and make it your first priority for your week and for your family as much as you have a say. Firstly, the church is a mystery. In Ephesians, Paul talks about the mystery of the church. It isn't something we go to or watch online just to get something from it or to give us good feelings. A mystery is something you simply enter. And when you enter, supernatural and hidden things take place that neither you nor I can rationally explain. It's just a mystery, but you know you are changing. You know that you leave a different person from when you started watching. And the church is the bride of Christ. Paul says in Ephesians, he tells husbands to love their wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. I want, I want to read this quote from um, A.J. Schwaboda's book, After Doubt, talking about the church and the fact that it's the bride of Christ. The church is a being, a person, a body, a beautiful woman on her wedding day. If we adopt Paul's metaphor, I suspect it might reshape the way we engage the church because the church is a person, a 2,000-year-old person. We must love her as such. Old women move slower than we wish. She isn't as fast as the world. She's behind on the time. She isn't up to date, which is okay. We need one group of people who don't keep the same time with the rest of the world. When we critique her for not having sermons that are as thrilling as podcasts or when she isn't doing what the people on Twitter are doing or, or when she says odd things in her prayers, we can take a deep breath. We are with a very old bride with a diversity of weird people. Christ loves this woman, warts and all. Can we? When we forget who the church is, we dole out endless grace for everyone in the world except the very community that taught us the mysteries of that grace. Jesus loves the church.
Can we love the church? Can we step into the mystery and wonder and brokenness of the church? Can we reimagine our lives with worship as our weekly priority? Can we reimagine what God could do with such a group of devoted followers? So here's my specific challenge. Can I challenge you not to miss a week of church for the next six months, either in person or online? Who knows what God will do when you adjust your priorities around your love for him and his church? Who knows how you will be changed and how this church will be reimagined? Let's finish with a poetic expression of the wonder that is the bride of Christ, the church. Welcome to church. Welcome to the undying body of the ever-living Son, where God's promises and God's people are radically made one. Welcome to the romance of the world, the marriage ceremony of Christ, where God is betrothed to man by proposing with his life. Welcome to the only place where the unholy can meet holiness and yet holy still survives. Welcome to the only place that you can walk in dead and yet come out alive. Welcome to this place, this place, whether on pews or chairs, in walls or air, under steeples or stairs, by thousands or in pairs, this place, this place is legendary, holy, ancient, modern, famous, hated, living, vibrant, ageless, not because of a location. Not because there are cars parked on the pavement. Not because you made a sign and named it. This place is an amazement because of the one who creates it. Welcome to the place where individuals are shaped into a larger whole. Where bread and wine feed our hearts and intoxicate our souls. Where race, money, and power no longer have a role. Where the outcast, impoverished, and broken come to be consoled. Welcome to our home, the bride of Christ on a reckless search.